This is Andrew Hall. You're listening to Dead Hand Radio. My guest on this episode is Heather at Exploration Project. Heather is an adventure blogger, an explorer, and photographer. Her website and social media activity are focused on positivity and inspiration, and she's extremely well-liked due to her positive attitude and uplifting posts on Twitter and Instagram. I first became aware of Heather through an online literary magazine called Baron Magazine, which we both contributed to. One of her photos was selected as the cover for that month and instantly got my attention. So I followed her, as I did many creative people from Baron Magazine around that time. Since then, her work has stood out because of her positive outlook and friendly personality, and we've been exchanging posts ever since. Most of Heather's photography consists of landscapes, wildlife, and her dog Marco, but what first attracted me to her photography was those abandoned structures and the way she always includes something informative and entertaining with her posts. This episode will focus on being positive, the importance of getting outdoors and exploring the world around us, and generally being a curious observer in life in order to stay sane in an insane world. Aside from everything else I mentioned, Heather is a native of Canada. She loves the outdoors, hiking, and traveling, and lives with her husband and her dog, Marco. She's also an inspiration to me, and I'm excited she accepted my invitation to come on this podcast. Welcome to Dead Hand Radio, Heather, and thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This is my very first podcast interview, and I'm pretty excited. A little bit nervous, but mostly excited. Very cool. Well, calm your nerves because it's painless. Not even as bad as a dentist visit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So is there anything I left out about your background in the intro? No, I I don't think so. Um, Obviously, I have lots of things in my life so far, but in terms of uh, exploration project and creativity, no. Cool. Uh, So can we talk a little bit about your early life experiences? Sure. Okay. Where and when did you grow up? So I was born in 77, and I grew up in a small town called Tilsonburg, Ontario. And so it's a typical small town in southwestern Ontario, meaning that it's surrounded by farmland and agriculture. And in Tilsonburg's case, uh, our most popular crop at that time was tobacco. So there was a lot of tobacco fields around us and all of my siblings worked in harvest, but I never did because I didn't want to get up in the morning. (laughs) I've always been a night hawk. Um, So I waitressed instead, but tobacco was pretty um, prevalent in our community. Like school would actually, high school would start late so that kids could work and finish harvest. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys recognize daylight savings? We do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we do. So, but Tilsonburg was a very safe and a nice little town to grow up in for sure. Nice. That story is very similar to my wife's upbringing. Oh, really? She, yeah, she was born in Mexico. They migrated here in the 70s and they moved to a town called Lompoc okay. in California. Yeah. Agricultural community. Um, they do a, a lot of uh, like strawberries and 
different types of fruits and vegetables. And then they have a huge flower, uh, huge area for flower crops. Nice. But, uh, and my wife was, had the same attitude as, as you did. She's like, I'm not doing that field work <laughs> because I'm going to go to school, get my education and do something different. Right. You know, she didn't want to work in the fields and she didn't, she, I think she tried it a couple of times and said, that's not for me. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I have to say like harvest, you did make really good money in harvest as a student. Um, but I also made good money waitressing. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Those tips. Yeah. Do yeah. you guys get tips? There? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's cool. That's sounds like a pretty quiet, peaceful time yes. to grow up. Yes, definitely. Late seventies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was born in 77. So my childhood was the eighties. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like Goonies was pretty cool. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. Did you stay in that town until you got into high school and graduated high school or, or did you move around much? No. So um, my parents were both teachers and uh, there's four kids in the family. So I'm the third. Um, yeah, we stayed actually, they're still in the same house that I grew up in. And um, very cool. yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's very um, stable and very a sense of place. So I stayed there until I was 18 and then I went to university in Toronto. So I went to the university of Toronto, uh, for four years, but I lived there for five. And then I moved to Waterloo, uh, which is another city, uh, close to this area and, uh, did my master's. And then I moved to this area that I'm in now. And then we bought a house in a small town. It's not a small town. It's a small city, but <laughs> it's more like a town really um, called St. Thomas. So I am 40 minutes West of where I grew up. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. So I've just stayed pretty much within a two hour distance, my entire adulthood. That's cool. Close enough to go see the family, but far enough away that yeah. you're free from the nest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You, are, it sounds like your family's pretty close. Yeah, we are. So I see my parents quite a bit. And then I have um, my brother and sister live in the GTA. So sorry, greater Toronto area. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, so, <laughs> um, so I'm there quite a bit with them as well. Okay. So as a child growing up, did you have a favorite place that may have influenced your creativity or your sense of adventure? Well, we had a lot of freedom, right? So it's a totally different era now. So like I started walking to school when I was five. <laughs> so in kindergarten, like that wouldn't happen now, right? Um, exactly. Now, mind you, I had older siblings that would take me, but still it was, you know, and we would walk the railroad tracks, <laughs> awesome. which Very also cool. wouldn't happen now. Um, but I loved the tracks. I don't know what it was about them, but I think just the ruggedness and the idea of exploration and that this train is going somewhere, where is it going? And that sort of a sense of romance in travel. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that sort of scenery, like, so the tracks were across the street and down a hill. So we would actually hear them in our house. They would vibrate our house. Um, so being so near a railroad, I just, I don't know. I think that, yeah, again, that ruggedness, that look of the metal, I think, I love that look. And I think part of it is because I spent so much time on the railroad tracks as a kid. You know, it's funny. My, 
Well, as when I was a kid, we lived near a railroad track and I used to go, it was actually a railroad station where the cars would hook up. And then, so me and my little buddy, we were like eight or nine years old. We'd run out to the tracks, climb all over the, the train cars. We've, <laughs> we've even rode the train cars a yeah. couple of times. We talked to the hobos, you know, this is back in the early seventies. Right. So it, you're right. It's a totally different era and you would never think of doing something like that nowadays. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I never rid the, uh, rode the train cars. I, I don't want to put words in my siblings mouth, but maybe some of them did that. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I was never that adventurous, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but what you're talking about with the, the awe for little kids and trains, my, my grandson is completely obsessed with trains. All he wants to do is look at trains, play with trains, watch trains on videos, and go visit the train museum <laughs> in Boulder City. That's awesome. Yeah, he just loves trains. And yeah, I love the sound of like the when they come together, you know? Yeah. Like that's yeah. or the sound. horn blowing in the distance. Love that's that. one of my favorite sounds. Me too. And so now I live in what's called the railway city, uh, railway capital of Canada. So St. Thomas was a major hub for the railway back in the day. So we have lots of tracks here. We have a railway museum and we still have active trains. So I actually hear the train horn nightly, which is wonderful lying in bed. Nice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Train museums are, are really fun places to go. Yes. We went to one in Kingman a few, uh, but well, last year sometime we went to one out in Kingman and they've got a really nice train museum over there. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I missed that when I went to, uh, in Arizona, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I missed that. <laughs> yeah. I saw your, um, you know, I look at your blog quite a bit actually, and I was reviewing it yesterday a little bit to catch up and see some things that I wanted to talk about. And I noticed, man, you guys have been all over the Southwest Yeah. Uh, of the United States, I should say. Yes. You guys, you guys seem to like California, Arizona, Nevada. Yeah, never California, but yeah, Nevada, Utah, um, and Arizona. Um, yeah, it's kind of just part fluke, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so my parents had, they used to have a timeshare. So we did a Sedona trip through a timeshare and then that introduced me to the Grand Canyon. And then I, I just fell in love and I wanted to hike it. So I booked a solo trip to hike it. Sorry, solo trip for me traveling there, but it was a guided hike. Um, so I hiked the Canyon and then we had a, a wedding <laughs> to go to in the Grand Canyon. So I'm like, I just keep going to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. And then we kind of combined some of that with um, Nevada and Utah and, and been to Vegas a few times as well. While you were out here, did you ever go to Death Valley? No, no. I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, at some point. It's, it's amazing. There, there's so many things to see out there. Oh, yeah. Don't go in the, don't go in the summer. <laughs> point taken. <laughs> Yeah, if you ever get the chance, definitely check that out. That's a beautiful place. Yes, definitely. Um, so uh, we talked a little bit about your memories already. Um, was there anything in particular that you wanted to, to mention about 
your adventures as a kid? Um, well, I grew up on a, so my parents own a home that backs onto a lake where it joins a river. So a lot of my exposure to nature was playing in the river. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. So it's cool because we could just walk out our backyard and, and then down a big hill and there's a big, we, it used to be an actual island, um, but then it, it filled in actually. So it's now attached to my parents' yard, but I would just go down there and play and in the winter, the, um, the lake would freeze over. So my dad would get out the axe, test the ice. There was like a big, uh, like a metal barrel that he would put a bonfire in and then we'd shovel the ice and just skate for hours and hours. Uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Or sometimes we'd skate down the creek to see what we could find, which was an old culvert. So that was cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm visualizing everything you're telling me right now. And that just sounds like, I don't know, for kids, that that's as close to heaven, I think, as you would want to get, right? Pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds amazing. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. And then my dad's parents um, lived in North Bay, which is six hours north of here. And uh, they owned a fishing camp, like a tourist camp. Mm -hmm. And it was right on the shores of Lake Nipsing, which is a, a lake up there. So every summer we'd go up and just swim the lake and listen to the seagulls and be like, there was right on the beach. So I think that has sort of influenced me as well. Just that love of the water and beaches and that, that sort of uh, landscape. Nice. So yeah, I've, I've seen you talk about paddleboarding quite a bit. How old were you when you started doing that? Um, 38. Oh. <laughs> I'm 42 okay. now. So <laughs> <laughs> I was a late bloomer to paddleboarding. boarding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, it's never too late to take up a new hobby, folks, right? Why not? <laughs> uh, what inspired you to get involved in paddleboarding? I know love of water, but what specifically like drove you to try this new fandangled way of transportation? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I probably saw it and thought that looks cool. I can be on the water in a different way and I don't own a boat. And so it's like yeah. a little cheap mini boat. <laughs> um, and I love exercise. So I love cool. being physical. So it would have appealed to me that way. And, uh, I just, I think I saw it and thought it was really cool. So, um, I rented one um, that was not successful because it was too wavy, but mm. it was hilarious. Like we just, <laughs> we just try and stand on it and we get thrown off and that was great fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then I thought, but I can do this. So um, I, my husband actually bought me an inflatable paddleboard, which is the greatest gift he's ever given me. Like I don't need a rings or jewelry. Oh, like wow. I, I just need like sports gear. So that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, and it's awesome because I can just, it's so easy, right? Cause it's inflatable and it's super lightweight so I can take it anywhere and just blow it up. I blow it up within two minutes and then I'm on the water and I, I just, cool. I love it. Yeah. It does look like a lot of fun and it seems like it would be relatively easy to pick up after I, I, a few I, tries. Yeah. I found it easy. I, I never like had a problem with balance or falling. Um, if, especially, uh, I, I tried a hard board and that's really easy. I was like, 
wow, this is really simple. Um, but I don't, I don't know, I guess it depends on your balance, but I never had a challenge with it. Is it, have you ever rode skateboards? No, I, I tried one when I would, I think I was 14, one of my boyfriend's <laughs> skateboards <laughs> and, but yeah, it wasn't for me, but yeah. Uh, I was just find, trying to find something to compare it to. Like, have you ever surfed? No. Surf, surfing? No, I'd love well, to try. Yeah, surfing Surfing is relatively hard. It's yeah. it's takes a, a quite a bit of practice to get decent enough to where you can even stand up. Yeah. It's not something you can just go out there and do on the first day. Maybe you could if you were eight or nine years old. You could, <laughs> yeah. Because for some reason, kids take to it pretty easily. But if you're in your 20s or, or older, you're going to have a little bit more trouble trying to stay up on those boards. They're pretty hard. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, it, can you pinpoint like a specific or particular person or event in your life that's contributed to your passion for adventure? Um, yeah, so I... As a kid, like I had all these outdoor experiences that were just neighborhood related, very organic, but I never, you know, I never got into hiking or camping until I was much older. So I never really had that mentorship that some people do. Um, yeah, like we didn't camp as a kid or hike, stuff like that. I do remember there was this teacher, I think grade three or four she took us on this hike in the woods and I remember being in love with the woods um, and in love with the idea of hiking but I still didn't do it until I was in my I want to say started in my late 20s so yeah so not really okay so it wasn't it wasn't so much a, a person more of an event a time when you were a youngster Yes. So I, yeah, for sure. I, I just remember feeling awe. Cool. And I, yeah. And I don't really remember feeling that sense of awe or wonder mm -hmm. um, in quite that degree at other times in my childhood. Um, yeah. So eight or nine, right? That was about eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. Some people don't find a passion until later on in their life. You know, they, they know they have to go to school, so they focus on school. They know they have to get a job, so then they focus on their job. And then, unfortunately, some people never find a passion. But uh, for somebody to have something outside of that, something that just seems to almost transcend the everyday life, it just seems like such a gift. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that you use the word transcend. That's exactly it. It's, I find the experiences out in nature transcendent. So we talked about you traveling around. You've been to a lot of different places. Um, a couple of the places that I've seen on your blog seem particularly interesting to me. Um, one of them was the bunker. Yeah, the deep in bunker. Diefenbunker? Yeah, that place looks really interesting. Was that like a like a bomb shelter for the Cold War? Yes. So the Diefenbunker was named after uh, one of our prime ministers, Diefenbaker. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't called the Diefenbunker at that time. Maybe it was. I don't remember. <laughs> but um, it was 
it was the bunker that was to be used for the government. So it was just outside of Ottawa, which is our capital of Canada. And it was uh, used as a preparation for if there was a nuclear uh, weapon that went off, that they would go to this bunker. So they had um, some kind of contingency to, to uh, protect the leadership. Is, was that the leadership of the state or was it the government? I mean, the federal government. Yeah, so it's our federal government bunker, or it was, and now it's a museum, uh, which is really cool because you can go, so you go on a tour, but they basically let you explore the place and it's huge. Yeah. So you can go in and it's, they kept all the original decor. So it was like walking back in time. It actually, it was kind of like going back to my childhood because a lot of my childhood was seeing things from the sixties that they hadn't upgraded yet. So old phones and just, I can't even like the, the chairs, all the styling, it was fascinating yeah so the the only question i have for you from that experience is why didn't you take more pictures <laughs> <laughs> i, I know been taking right? pictures of everything in there yeah yeah i yeah i would definitely go back you know mm -hmm. it was um and they <laughs> actually it'd be kind of fun they have like halloween events in there and stuff oh, cool. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, that place does sound like, I think I'm going to add that to my list of places to visit because that seems like a really neat place. Pretty cool. And then you can combine it with a trip to Ottawa, which is a nice city. Okay. Do you have a favorite place that you've been to or that you would like to go to that you haven't been to? <laughs> well, I, I really liked, I think it's called the Gold, Gold King Ghost Town Mine. <laughs> it's, a, okay. it's a long okay. name. <laughs> But it's in Jerome, Arizona, hmm. and it's basically a big junkyard. Um, <laughs> it's kind of, it's in a nicer way, it's a museum of old uh, stuff. And there's a lot of old cars, and there's like this dentist shack with a dentist chair and a lot of old machinery. Um, it's run by a guy named Don, who seemed really great. And I, I could, I went with my friends, so we spent a few hours there, but honestly, I could spend an entire day there just photographing the old cars because it's set, it's set against this cool mountain backdrop of Jerome, which is beautiful. And uh, it's just so different than Canada. So I really enjoyed visiting that. Nice. Oh, so and you said that you went to Sedona also, right? Was that near Sedona? Um, that Jerome, yes, it's not too far. Okay. I can't remember exactly where it is in relation, but yeah. I have not been to Sedona, but it, from what I've seen and what I've heard, that place is amazing. That's gorgeous. From a landscape perspective, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you do a lot of landscape photography, so I'm sure there's yeah. a lot of good opportunities. Yes. Yeah. I do now. At that time when I visited Sedona, I did not. Mm. Oh, okay. So you, you are relatively new to photography too. Is that right? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. So exploration project started as an urban exploration blog on Blogspot about 10, 12 years ago. Oh, okay. So yeah. So I've been doing photography 
but very casually and I've never really learned I'm starting to learn now but it started with focusing solely on abandoned buildings abandoned structures and abandoned spaces and their stories associated with that um, and then over the years I've moved to WordPress and my interest now is nature and landscape photography oh cool do you still do abandoned structures and ghost towns and things like that? <laughs> Very rarely. So if I travel, probably I would. Um, but yeah, not, not so much now. I have shifted from that focus, uh, which is pretty dark, into more of a lighthearted focus. Well, your, yeah, your Twitter feed and your, your, uh, your videos on YouTube are all really positive. You have a, a really uplifting approach to your blogging and your social media. And I think that's a, a nice change. I think a lot of people are really attracted to that because of your positive outlook on things. Yes. That is probably the number one uh, comment I get as to what people really appreciate is the positivity and it's very intentional. So. I have made an intention not to uh, not to get into things that are, um, I guess, political mm -hmm. would be one thing because I, I think we're so saturated um, <laughs> with with politics and negativity. So if I have a complaint about my day, <laughs> I'm not sharing it on that space because I'm trying to keep it as a sacred space of joy and positivity. Mm, that's good. The, the message that you're putting out there is positive and uplifting. And I know that it's helping people because you can see that in the amount of engagement that you get on your Twitter feed alone. So just to give you some background on, on that choice. So I was a social worker for 15 years. Um, that was my career. And so I saw the dark side of um, both humanity and the effects of society. And so my intention to keep my social media as a, as a positive space is also a way to um, maybe differentiate that those experiences because I started really hiking to cope with the negative things that I was seeing and hearing as a social worker. So it's, it is, it is definitely, uh, I'm sharing the side of me that is joyous and positive and inspired. Um, but what I'm choosing not to share is are those dark experiences. Although I think sometimes that comes across in my photography, but because it was so dark, and I need to move forward from that. I'm choosing to focus on the positive. So it's a, it's a way for you to balance, keep balance in your life. Yes. It's almost like if you were working in law enforcement, you know, you see the darker side of humanity and a lot of those guys don't, don't have a positive out, uh, outlet like you, like you have. And so they end up, turning to alcohol or to, to other vices that ends up in divorces, 
broken families and, you know, sometimes even worse. So it's, it's very important for you to have a, a, a good balance. And I'm glad that you shared that because that's honest and it lets people know that, you know, life is not always grand. It, it, life has troubles, but even when things are tough, you can still do something that will bring that balance back into your life so that you can remain positive, remain hopeful and, and be a light and, an, and a, um, a positive influence on other people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so I'm no longer a social worker and haven't been for two years. Um, but that's how it kind of started mm -hmm. is that coping through hiking. Got it. Very cool. Well, I'm glad you found something to, to counteract the negativity that you're getting through your, your work. Cause a lot of people go into a field, uh, a job and they want to change the world. They think this is the greatest thing. And then when they actually get into the day-to-day -day activities of that job, they realize, man, this is not what I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, when, when you have to deal with the, the troubles of other people, that could be pretty discouraging. Yeah. So, well, yeah, for sure. Good. Um, let's see, since we're on uh, the exploration project, you, you did tell me uh, how you got started, but how did you come up with that cool name? Because exploration project... It's a great yeah. name. <laughs> Thank you. I <laughs> and I don't remember. <laughs> the one thing you, you need to know about me is I have a horrendous memory. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I I think okay, so I, I do kind of know if I if I really think about it. So it was an urban exploration blog. So exploration was an obvious choice from that perspective um project I'd, i think i just thought it sounded cool and it was sort of a focus it gave me a focus on this is a project that i'm doing outside of work outside of my my personal life in terms of at that time it was very focused on photography so that's kind of how uh, i came up with it and then someone asked me actually on twitter the other day what is the project in exploration project I'm like, good question. <laughs> and uh, right, I would say now it's whatever I'm working on. You know, it, it's the project of what am what am I passionate about right now, and what am I working on? Uh, so, and also your tagline: "Be curious, explore." Is that something you came up with on your own? Yeah. Okay, that's so awesome that, too. Yeah. So when I was redoing my website, uh, maybe a year ago, maybe a year and a half. I was very, I, I just wanted to break down into the essence of what am I doing here? What, what is the, what, do, what is the value behind this? And I broke it down into what I'm really doing and what I really value is curiosity. And I value the idea of being curious and then following that curiosity. Um, and in that way, being passionate about life and exploring. And it could be about anything for me. It's about right now. It's about nature. That's cool. Yeah. Every time you learn something new or experience something new, it could be considered an exploration, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Uh, and to me, like right now, I'm learning how to blog or how to podcast. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm just learning it. So to me, this is an exploration into something Absolutely. new. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and and for me, the the motivating factor of everything I do seems to be more in the process of learning than anything else. You know, that's to me the the learning process is what motivates me. That's awesome. Yeah, I've just always felt that way. You know, and like you said, curious. Okay, I'm curious. Explore. <laughs> I'm gonna go into those places that most people wouldn't want to even think about going to. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. And you're curious and, and, and I think that shows through your work very much so. And I think people appreciate that because it makes them think. Are you talking about my, my work yeah. personally? Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Yeah. Your work. Thank you very yeah. much for saying that. You're welcome. Um, because you, most of your hiking is done alone, right? Yes. What precautions do you take to protect yourself and to let others know if you run into some problems when you're out hiking. Yeah, so I have an iPhone. So first of all, I let my husband know my trip plan. So okay. where exactly am I parking? What direction am I headed in? How many Ks am I planning to hike an hour? And where, what, what am I doing? Like, what is my plan here? When will I be home? So he knows that. Um, secondly, we have my my iPhone enabled so that he can see where I am at any exact moment so that say I'm still for an hour. Um, why, why am I not moving? Right. That would worry him. So he can see my movement, which is wonderful. And then I have also a spot GPS. So if I can't, if my phone dies or I can't get coverage, uh, it's actually a satellite um, sends a signal to a satellite and I just press a button and it will go to 911. Um, and thankfully I've never had to use that. I've never been injured, but if I'm injured and I can't get to my phone, then that is a lifeline for me as well. Yeah. And then I also carry a knife. <laughs> so, yeah. So, hey, some form of protection is better than nothing. That's for sure. Absolutely. And, and not only protection, but it's a tool in case you need to do something that requires a knife. Exactly. So I just, I carry 10 essentials, the hiking 10 essentials with me. Um, so some sort of, uh, well, definitely a map. I have a compass. I have a whistle. I have a knife. I have a, a what do you call it? Like a, sh a shelter bag, like a warm bag. Um, yeah. Some other stuff in there, but oh, a headlamp. So just stuff in case something happens. Right. That's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Because a day, a day hike could easily turn into a three or four day misadventure yeah. know, to where you're waiting to be rescued. And um, that would not be a, a fun situation, no matter how prepared you are. But if you've got just a few items, like a, some extra water, a couple of extra trail bars, you know, to get you through those three or four days until somebody finds you. Yeah. For it sure. Could be the difference, you know. Yeah, you either die or not, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's not funny, but the way you said <laughs> it. <laughs> well, way it's you just like it, yeah. you either be prepared or you might die. Exactly. So like what's the big deal about taking a couple items? It's not a big deal and just always take it. Yeah. Uh now at 
while you're out exploring, since you've been to a lot of places where there's very few people, have you ever experienced anything weird or possibly even dangerous that made you think twice about venturing out alone? There was this one hike <laughs> and it was local and there were like deer limbs hanging from the trees. Wow. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that was about. That was odd. Um, and actually in that same uh, conservation area, I once went and the police were there and they said, you can't enter here because we're chasing down um, an outlaw. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, well, good luck. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so like just those couple things, but I've, no, I've never experienced anything that would uh not make me go back or okay. prevent me from going back that's cool i because i have heard stories of people running into things that made them just so freaked out that they would never go into that section of the woods by themselves again or at all even if they were in a group with people they wouldn't go in there really you know, yeah and i you know they don't know what it was that they encountered, but it was something so terrifying and outside of their, their scope of reality that they wouldn't go back into that, into that section of the forest. Wow. Yeah, yeah no, I've never, uh, I've never had uh, say any paranormal or experiences that I can't explain or that freaked me out to that degree. That's cool. If you ever do, I want to be the first to know, and I want to have you on my podcast to talk about it. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Agree. <laughs> uh, and hopefully you don't, hopefully, you know, everything goes smooth as it normally does. And you just have adventures and you share your, your positive, your positive experiences with us on, on Twitter. Yeah. It'll be uh, hopefully flowers and sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's not enough of that. That's for sure. That's <laughs> <Yeah>, true. <laughs> uh, now, can you talk a little bit about your photography? Cause I, I know we did kind of skipped over that, but what got you into photography and how did you first start taking a camera with you? So I first got into it when I started seeing abandoned buildings in the country and just driving around. And I, I don't know. It's, it's not like, I, I think I just kind of had to. So photography for, me, photography for me is more of a must, or it's like this internal drive where I'm like, oh my God, I need to take a picture of that now. <laughs> uh, so it's, I don't know, it's, it's just this internal passion, I think. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Uh, you know, cause unfortunately I don't feel that way. I feel like when I'm out shooting photos, it's something that I enjoy doing and I like the challenge of it. And there are certain images that I love to capture. I shoot the heck out of everything, man. I shoot 20 or 30 shots of the same mountain from different angles just to get the best one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I do too. Okay. But, um, but what you said about, you know, feeling compelled to do it. Yes. Compelled. Good word. Yeah. So to me, if I was compelled, I would be out shooting 
like you do all the time. And yeah. I'm, I just don't do that, man. I, I find excuses not to, <laughs> which sucks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm kind of outing myself now because I do enjoy photography. It's really an <laughs> outlet for me. Like, like your hiking is and your photography is for you. Um, for me going out in the desert and for some reason hiking in the desert doesn't seem like a fitting explanation of what I do. Cause I drive in the desert. I get out of my car and I walk a hundred yards off the road away from the road. And I'm in the middle of the desert, literally. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, cause I live in the desert, you know, it's 15 minutes away from my house, the desert. So cool. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if I wanted to, I could hike for miles and virtually get lost in the desert, but I, I usually don't do that. <laughs> That's probably wise. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's so dang hot out here most of the time. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty dangerous. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that 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 feeling compelled to do something, man. That's a that's a feeling that I'm searching for still. You know, I'm still I'm still looking for that that one thing in my life that drives me beyond everything else. And I, like I said, I, I probably already know what that is and that's the learning process for anything right so it doesn't matter yeah it it doesn't matter really what the what the activity is learning how to do it for me is the driving motivator that's amazing because then it opens up so much opportunity for you like (laughs) anything really for you could be part of that passion yeah so i i don't know how this turned into a therapy session for me you, well you because must I'm, be a social, yeah, right. I'm a previous social worker i was I'm gonna sorry. say you must have been good at your job because <laughs> i was yeah <laughs> that's funny that's cool <laughs> yeah I but I, i'm actually realizing some things about myself that i had before <laughs> and it's it's really good <laughs> cool um so anyway moving on with your photography some of the coolest photos that uh, that I like that you, sh- that you share are the photos where you're walking away from your camera or you're walking towards your camera. And I'm like, I know she's alone. How the heck, yeah. how do you do that? So sometimes I'm not alone. So one of my favorite ones of that was actually in Detroit and my sister took it. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. But one of my nice, my other favorite one was just totally a different feel. Um, is in the woods with the light and um yeah i took that and it, it's a it's can i swear or sure <laughs> it's a pain in the ass oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> so i have to have a tripod so i'm i'm the, there's one in particular i'm talking about it's uh i'm on a boardwalk the light i'm standing in the light and then there's woods on either side i think another so, one you're talking about yeah yeah so in that one you know i had to carry a heavy t- high, heavy tripod through an entire hike um so there's that and then you know you have to set it up and then i have a remote release a shutter release um and then i had to take you know <laughs> seventy thousand pictures <laughs> to get the right one where i looked not like funny or <laughs> yeah. so it's yeah it's a lot of work so i don't do that often because it is so much work and sometimes i just want to hike okay yeah the the i mean because they probably because they are rare because they're so difficult to get and 
for me, those are the coolest shots because I know you're by yourself. I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's, that must take a lot of work. It seems like it does. Yes. It because does. yeah, the, okay. You carry the tripod out, you use the remote shutter um, and you take multiple photos of yourself. Do you have a pre-planned idea for composing that ph photograph before you go on that trip? Or you just no. say today, I'm going to take pictures of myself wherever I find a cool spot. Yeah, exactly. So the, I think the difference between me and say, a, like, I don't, I don't know, a real photographer. No, you're real, a, you are 100% real photographer. Maybe not, <laughs> maybe not professional. Yeah. But you're, yeah. you're definitely not an amateur. Okay. So maybe a professional photographer would absolutely plan their locations and think about the lighting and, and plan it. Okay. Whereas mine is because it's all a part of exploration project. It's all a part of the exploration. Oh, okay. So it's all a part of what I find, whether it's, and, and a lot of times I don't find it right. A lot of times that's cloudy the entire time or the composition is just, doesn't work out um or my battery dies <laughs> or oh, yeah. yeah or i just yeah don't bring my camera or my tripod so yeah it's i don't plan it most like 99.9% .9 of the time it's me going out seeing what i can find that day wherever i may find myself right on yeah i like the way you tied that into the it's part of the exploration the yes. the only thing that would really suck and and the the dying battery that happens to every kind of photographer that is out there i don't know a photographer who hasn't had a battery die on them <laughs> right so when they're annoying. about to catch that that great shot and then they have to come back another day yes. yeah but the thing that would really suck is carrying that tripod with you on a five or ten k hike yeah. and then realizing you didn't you didn't find the spot you wanted to shoot or you know, something went wrong with your equipment and you yep. didn't get anything out of it. Absolutely. And it, it also, you know, it depends on my hike. Like if it's too long or too, well, there's not much ruggedness around here, but say I'm like further North and I'm doing a hike, like I'm not taking a tripod. That's mm -hmm. not happening. So it's iPhone pictures at that point. Oh, okay. So you don't even yeah. carry a camera with you at that point? No, too much. <laughs> uh -huh. Do you shoot most of your photography on the iPhone or do you use a DSLR? So uh, because I'm out every day with the dog, most of my stuff is on iPhone and it's just whatever I'm seeing in that daily moment. And then if uh, it's more intentional, then I will take my DSLR. And uh, the only time I, I find with my iPhone, I cannot do low light. Oh, okay. It's not good at all. Uh, so, and then you don't shoot a lot of video. It seems like you're starting to do more video, but what is it because you prefer photography or you're just not familiar with video? So, you know how I said, like, I was compelled to do photography. Yeah. I feel like you feel, uh, with the photography, I feel that way about video. So I do it. I use video as a tool to capture things that I think would be cool, but I don't feel compelled to it or it doesn't call me like taking a picture calls me. Wow. Cool. And I, I saw that you have a little, um, a little online store where people can buy your photography. 
yeah. and you got some beautiful photos. I actually think some of your best photography is on that catalog uh, that you have photos available in print. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I believe those are all DSLR. And uh, yeah, I've tried to include ones that I thought were higher quality um, because a lot of mine people like them, but they wouldn't look good blown up because they're just, yeah, the lighting's not right or they're, they're not good enough quality. So on there is my higher quality photos. Cool. All right. So I'm going to um, jump a little bit ahead and talk. If, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about the contrast between professional life, which right now you're on hiatus, I guess, like most of us. Yes. Uh, versus the the personal project. Sure. Um, so, as a creative person who also enjoys the physical challenges of of outdoor adventure, what are some of the biggest hurdles that you've had being a an adventure blogger? There's nothing I do that would be too much of a challenge for me physically because I try and set my goals realistically. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I, I've never done anything too extreme. I'm like the longest I've hiked, I think is four days interior backcountry camping, which was hard, but it wasn't that physical. Um, so I don't, why, why are you laughing? Oh, uh, no, I was going to say that sounds like a fun adventure. Four days in the back, you know, in the back country. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Were, were you alone that whole time? No, no. Oh, okay. I've never solo backcountry camped. Um, I, <laughs> I would like to. Um, and at some point I probably will. But no, I was with my husband and my dog. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and my dog at the time. Um, but I, I think like anyone, the biggest challenges are money and time. Oh, okay. Because you go out, it seems like almost every day, right? Yeah. So I treat exploration project like a job. So I, it's not, this isn't like, I don't see it like Heather is on Twitter or Heather is on Instagram. Cause then I just be Heather. So I see it as a, as a part-time job that I'm committed to doing this thing that I love. Um, because otherwise it's far too easy just to be like, I'm not going to go out today or I'm not going to research that today or whatever. So if I treat it like an obligation, not an obligation, I do not like that word. If I treat it like a commitment, then I spend energy and time on it and then I get the most benefit from it as well. Nice. Nice. Everybody has a, a story to tell in some way or another. Now I consider you a storyteller because you share your story on social media and you share your story on your blog and you share through your photos. Uh, what in your mind makes a good storyteller? What does it take to be a good storyteller? I think um, people who don't skip out on the details. So, you know, you can post a picture of something and just not say much about it, or you can ask a question, well, why? is that picture like that or pose a question to make people think. And I think getting into those details and fleshing it out a bit um, makes for a better story than just something maybe more obvious. Okay. I see that. And a lot of your posts are not only do they have a positive message in them, but 
a, a lot of your posts are educational to where you, you might find a particular species of bird or insect or whatever. You'll go look up what that is and then let people know. And if you can't figure it out, I've noticed that you'll put it out there. And this, this was something that I saw, I think it was yesterday. Um, somebody else from a different part of the world posted a response and said, yeah, this is what it is. Yeah. I yeah. That was really cool. Really cool. Yeah. So yeah. it was a rock fossil and an invertebrate paleontol paleontologist, paleontologist. <laughs> um, I think actually she was from Alberta um posted exactly what it was and explained it and like how cool is that right so that's the positive way i think to use social media is to absolutely to learn and connect that yeah that is an awesome eye-opening use of the internet and that you know i know a lot of people use it just to gripe or beat people down and those are the people that i try to avoid with like the plague but when I see somebody with a positive message like you, I gravitate toward that person. And then to see two people uh, like collaborating through their correspondence on the internet, man, that's even like another level of coolness for me. Isn't that cool? I think, yes. I think it's really, really awesome. And the more I think we can do that, like now I've learned about that and it like uh, makes me more passionate um, to learn even more and to share more. And it's just sort of this cycle of learning, connecting, sharing, and growing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you certainly have grown your, your group, the people that you're connected with, um, since I first met you. I mean, like I mentioned, uh, in the intro, you know, you and I first, well, I first became aware of your work because of we were both collaborating with Baron magazine at, at, you know, sometime in 2018, I think. Yes. And uh, I, I saw your photography and it stood out to me. It was just, it just had that because it was abandoned stuff. That's when you were doing a lot of abandoned stuff, I think. And uh, that's the kind of photography that I really gravitate towards. Right. So I found that, you know, that, there was a common interest and I wanted to follow your work and see what you were up to. And then it shifted and I started seeing all this positivity and I was like, wow, that's even better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you, you yeah. stuck with it and with me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, and you know, even back in those days uh, you had people following you, but the number of likes was nothing compared to what you're getting now. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, definitely grown and I'm very grateful for the engagement because that's what makes it fun, right? Is mm -hmm. is talking to people and learning from each other. And yeah, it's fun. And one of the things that I look forward to is hearing people's comments. The The likes is important because it gives you an understanding of how many people are, are seeing what you put out there. But the engagement, the comments, that's really what I enjoy about the social media part. Me too. Yeah. Um, oh, which part of the creative process do you enjoy the most? I love when I, and I sort of touched on this, that when I go out and I, I see something and I know with all of my heart that that will be a good picture. Cool. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of the time I'm taking a picture, trying to get a good picture, but there are moments when I'm like, 
oh, that's just awesome. <laughs> and yeah. I know, and then I can snap it and it's just the first one is good. So uh, that's amazing. Um, and what is your dream job? If you had a chance to say, this is what I want to do for the next 10, 15 years of my life. So it's not so much a title as it is component. So my dream job would be something where I could write because I love writing, where I could research or study, uh, where I could speak and where I could be hands-on. So I don't know if this exists <laughs> within my county because we're not going to move. <laughs> so, um, but that would be my dream job components. Okay. So have you ever heard of TED Talks? Yeah. Okay. Um, now there are also speakers bureaus and they basically have people that act as your manager and they, they go out and they find gigs for you to go and speak at. Oh, wow. And Ted talks is one of those venues and they have Ted talks in almost every city, every major city around the world. That's cool. So you wouldn't have to travel outside your city but if you're willing to travel outside your city there are tons of travel conventions and adventure conventions photography conventions that you could potentially get a a, a gig as a guest speaker some of those are paid gigs some of those are unpaid but the way that a lot of speakers supplement their income is by having books that they sell at those uh, at those engagements Yes. Uh, we went a little bit over an hour. Are you still okay on time? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. So the primary focus of my podcast, Dead Hand Radio, is uh, existential threats to our planet. And in this segment, I'd like to try to tie the importance of storytelling with the focus of this podcast. Every person I've interviewed has impressed me in some way with their level of imagination and insight. And they also share a common desire to impact the world in a positive way through their creative process. In your opinion, should writers, filmmakers, even bloggers and podcasters have a responsibility to take on social issues with their projects? So I, I think a couple things. One is no, a responsibility. No, because I think art has to come from within and if i tell somebody you need to create this because you're responsible for this element of social change like i don't think it's going to be good art um and i think i think we need different people to create social change so i think there's going to be artists who are critical through their art of whatever they're critical of and that's important and I think there's going to be people who are very outspoken with their art. And I think that's important to push the envelope. But I think there's also somewhat of an inevitability towards your art reflecting your values. And your values are going to reflect things that you want to see changed. So, for example, with Exploration Project, I'm not political overtly but there's no way that I can take pictures of nature and the environment without also having a value of wanting to protect that nature and the environment. So I think it's somewhat inevitable that artists 
values and their desires for social change are going to show through their art. Great answer. It makes sense. Great answer. I've always, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've always felt that it is important for artists to express themselves first. And if they have a desire to try to affect social change within that artwork, then I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, so without getting political, uh, the, the issues that we're faced with today, and there are many, but of those, of those issues that we're faced with, what do you think is the greatest threat to human life on earth? I think it's our mindset. Uh, so I think that we value consumerism uh, to the point where status and money are the most important things over connection and empathy and kindness and respect and at this point pragmatism for the health of our earth for example would be an outcome of that mindset and uh, i think inequality is a huge threat to everyone uh, i think this needs to be a time of innovation and i think when you have inequality you're missing a lot of the population's great ideas because they're in poverty or they don't feel um, good enough or they're not at the table because they don't have the right connections or the right wealth status. And I think that's risky. Agreed. And very good answer. Uh, there are so many threats to our world and um, as, as a whole. Uh, you know, when you think about things like nuclear war or climate change, or even a, you know, a meteor strike or something like that. Um, those are all threats, but the threat that we have to our society, to our civilization, uh, it does come from within. I mean, I think people being so divisive, which is a word you used earlier, and I think it's an important word. Um, that's that's so dangerous. And it seems to be something for some reason that a lot of people in power want to perpetuate. You know, they, they want to keep people divided so that they can maintain control and power. Control, power, and money. And money, yeah. No, um, I mean, I'm 100% I'm in agreement with you on that, though. Uh, I think we have to find a way to come back from the brink of that. You know, yeah. we have to find a way to come together, remain positive, remain kind, and and just spread that kindness. And that's something that you do well in your work. And I think a lot of people really appreciate that you're doing that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I definitely try because, as I say, there's so much of the opposite everywhere. <laughs> and it's exhausting. And uh and we can't, I don't think we can continue like that. Mm -hmm. So if you, okay, being a writer, photographer, storyteller, if you could create a character in a story to deal with that issue, 
what would that character look like? I think that character would have high compassion, high empathy, high emotional intelligence, um, combined with ambition, drive, uh, they take high personal responsibility and they get things done. You know, and I think it's it's not an individual issue. I mean, we're talking about systemic, the ways our society is set up systemically is unsustainable for the health of our earth and for the health of our communities. And I think we need to shift some of the way that we do uh, everything in our society, particularly the way we deal with wealth. It's a good way to boil it down. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is that I don't, it, it seems like it's impossible for a single person to affect that change. It has to be done as a whole. Everybody basically has to make a decision that this is not what we want anymore. And we need to make a push to make that change happen. Yeah. Yeah. Some of our, some things are just, not sustainable anymore right it's not it's not going to create happiness for people or the ability to live well for any of us yeah true it's it's completely unsustainable like you said i agree uh well that brings us to the end of the interview and i i just want to tell you thank you for spending this time with me and with the people listening to this podcast uh, is there anything else you'd like to bring up that we hadn't covered? I don't think so. Thank you so much. I had a good time and <laughs> um, it was fun. I was a little nervous, but I, you know, I didn't really feel nervous throughout it. So that was nice. And I really um, appreciate you having me as a guest. Great. It was, it was a pleasure to have you. <laughs> uh, I hope, I hope you'll consider coming back again sometime. Yeah, for sure. And before we, before I let you go, I just want to give you an opportunity to, to let people know how they can get in touch with you if they want to, or how they yeah. can find your work and what might you be working on that we can look forward to. So you can find me, uh, my website is exploration project, all one word, dot org. My Twitter is at exploration proj. <laughs> so just cut off. <laughs> and my Instagram is at exploration project. And I am working on something. Um, it's not very different from what I'm already doing. It's just uh, maybe a little bit more condensed. So, but I, I can't say what exactly and when and when exactly. So just if you follow me, it'll be obvious when I release things, these things. Very cool. So definitely follow Heather on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and her blog is awesome. Her, it's her website actually it's not just a blog there's photos there's a store go buy her photos her photos are beautiful yeah i really appreciate you doing this i'm glad that this was your first experience and i hope it was positive it absolutely was awesome all right <laughs> all right heather will you have a great day i will talk to you soon thank you bye bye-bye well that was it for this episode if you have questions or comments about the conversation you can reach me at deadhandradio at gmail.com or you can connect with me on Twitter at deadhandradio. If you'd like to leave me a voice message that may be included in a future episode of the podcast, 
go to anchor.fm forward slash dead hand forward slash message. You've been listening to Dead Hand Radio, and this is Andrew Hall. Thanks for listening. <laughs>